following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples to show them how to live in a world full of trials and temptations by the strength only he gives if any man come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily if any man come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross each day and follow me you know Satan wants to destroy your life And he'll do anything to reach that end He'll disguise himself as an angel of light And deceive you by the words of a friend And you can't even tell as it happens to you for he cunningly flatters his lies sound so true Do you think that this never could happen to you? You better beware, you may be the next to fall If any man come after me Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily if any man come after me Let him deny himself And take up his cross each day and follow me Now I've seen many Christians Who have been deceived By the subtle enticements of sin When the world and its pleasures Start looking so good That is when all the trouble begins then you can't find the time to get into God's Word And it seems that your prayers are infrequently heard The excuses you make used to sound so absurd Stop kidding yourself, you're throwing your life away Just give him your life and really begin to live. Just give him your life and really begin to live. If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. If any man come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross each day and follow me. Let him deny himself. And take up his cross each day and follow me. Let him deny himself. And take up his cross each day.
Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Tonight I'd like to explore with you how King Saul began to drift. They were not large issues. The first clue comes when Saul goes with Israel for the selection of the king, knowing that he's already been ordained as the king, knowing that God's spirit has already come upon him, knowing that he has already witnessed the testimonies that he had been prophesied about. He had received the loaf of bread. He had experienced the change of heart. But now as he comes to the coronation time when he's going to be selected by lot and the lots begin to be cast and it goes to his father's house. And then finally the lot falls on Saul himself. And they say, where's Saul? He was hiding in the baggage with the camels. Well, why is that a sign? Because he had a false sense of of fear. He was afraid he wasn't going to be chosen, and he was afraid he was going to be chosen. So there was a false sense in his heart of pride. Now You understand, pride has two sides. Pride has one side that says, oh, I'm not worth anything. I'm nobody. And on the other side, it says, hey, don't mess with me. I'm the best. And it's very quickly swung one side to the other. So one moment we can say, I'm nobody. And the next minute when somebody speaks to us in a manner we don't like, we rise up in rage and say, I'm somebody. Do you know who you're talking to? So it flips from this false sense of, self-condemnation over to the other side that says, I'm the king, don't mess with me. That's what we begin to see now in King Saul. He goes home after the coronation. He's now the king, but he goes home to daddy's farm because he doesn't know what to do. That was wise. And God had caused valiant warriors to say, we're going to follow King Saul. He thinks of himself still as a farm boy out looking for his donkeys. But God has said he's king over Israel. So these men go to the farm and set up a bivouac camp and say, we're with you. Well, he goes back to plowing. He doesn't know what to do. How's he supposed to know what to do? He's never seen a king before. So then he comes home from his plowing all day and he sees that people are weeping. And he says, what's wrong? Why is everybody crying? Well, there's this city. The Ammonites have come against Jabesh Gilead. And they've said that they're going to gouge every man's eye out to shame Israel. And suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And he says, no, they're not. And he kills the oxen that he'd just been plowing with, and he offers them as a sacrifice to God. And he takes his knife, and he begins to cut this oxen up. And he sends these valiant men as runners 
through the whole nation of Israel. And he says, this is what's going to happen to any man who does not come and follow me in battle. And all of Israel turns out for war. And they deliver Jabesh Gilead. This is his first success as a warrior. And it's done under the influence and under the power, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't try to do anything. He is walking now honestly before God. And God comes and says, do this. And he does it and he's successful beyond his imagination. So Israel says, hey, we're dealing here with a warrior. We didn't know our king was a warrior. We thought he was a farmer. So they called all of Israel together. They had a great celebration. And they again committed themselves to Saul as king. And they have a feast. They have a party. Everybody's excited because now they know they have a warrior for a king. And then some of the people who'd been against him being a king, they spoke down about him. Some of the valiant men say, bring those people out and let's kill them. King Saul said, no, no, this is a day of great victory. This is a day of joy in Israel. Don't kill them. So they obey him. Now, Samuel spoke very clearly in seven days. I want you to meet me. Told him exactly where to meet. And then Samuel went off on prophet business. Well, Saul didn't know what to do to establish himself as king. So he decided the first thing a king needs is a standing army. If you're going to build an empire, you have to have a standing army. And so he appointed 3,000 men from Israel as his standing army. He took command of 2,000 of them, and he put his son, Jonathan, with 1,000 men. And they separate. Now what are they supposed to do? There's nobody to fight. There's no palace to go to. So they're bivouacked out in the country, and Jonathan gets bored. And he says, we have this army. Let's go kill us some Philistines. And so they go to a Philistine outpost, and they kill them some Philistines. But not all of them. Some of them escape, and they go back to headquarters, and they report that there's now a standing army in Israel. And the Philistines come out. They come out like a swarm of bees, of wasps, after Saul. Well, how is Saul supposed to deal with this? 1 Samuel 13, verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers. So one man is driving the chariot and the other man is handling the scythes that cut people off at the legs. This was like an Abram's tank. A a man could not stand up to a chariot. They have 3,000. Saul has 3,000 men in his army. They have 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand of the seashore. It would not be unusual in this day 
for the Philistines to field an army of 500 or 600,000 men. They had a standing army of that size against 3,000 men. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. In other words, everybody ran. Saul, however, remained at Gilgal. The troops he had left with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. Now here's where the drifting begins to occur. We've already seen that he has an inclination toward pride. We've already seen that he has a natural inclination towards self-sufficiency. And when he doesn't think he can handle it, he runs. When he thinks he can handle it, he gets powerful. So now we have a perfect opportunity for Saul to trust in the anointing that he received from the Holy Spirit. But he's not going to do that. He has spent his whole life depending upon himself. How can he now begin to trust in the almighty name of God? This is such a difficult question because most of us have spent all of our lives figuring out for ourselves how to succeed with our lives. And when we didn't know how to succeed with our lives, we knew how to get in the hidey cave and pull the covers in behind us and hope that nobody noticed that we didn't know how to deal with our problems. This is King Saul. You see, just because he became king doesn't mean he changed from being a farm boy. We bring with us, when we go somewhere, everything we have. You know, if Emmanuel were not to be in church tonight, or David was not to be in church tonight, wherever they were, you know what they would have with them? They'd have themselves. In other words, it sounds so simple, but let's get honest. We are where we are. We take our problems with us. We take our attitudes with us. We take our practices with us. You take a man and and take him out of one set of circumstances and put him in another set of circumstances, he's still going to be the same man. He's going to act the same. If he's rebellious in one place, he'll be rebellious in another place. All he has to have is the right set of circumstances to trigger the anger, trigger the bitterness, trigger the hostility, and you've got it. He's changed. He's there. So you can take a man and you can move him out of the setting that he's in, that he's in trouble in, and move him to another setting, and he'll soon be in trouble in that setting too. So you take a young man. He's in rebellion against mom and dad. Great, you take him out of that setting, you put him in the setting of the army, and now he's rebellious against the army. You take a young man and you you take him away from being rebellious with mom and dad, and you take him to church. In church, he'll be rebellious. 
In other words, we're going to take ourselves wherever we go. I have never yet seen a young man be in trouble in school and not also be in trouble at home. And if he's in trouble at home, he's going to be trouble in church. Why? Because everywhere he goes, he's the same trouble. It takes a change of heart. And the Holy Spirit offered Saul a change of heart. And he rejected that change of heart. He said no to the change of heart. He said, I'll be who I am. And who he was was trouble. In other words, the circumstances can change as much as you want to change them. But I'm the same. So if I'm bitter and angry with Jan, if I'm bitter and angry with my, my kids, I'll be bitter and angry with you if you just get the facade off me. In other words, we are who we are. And this is what has to be transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And Saul was offered that transformation, and he rejected the transforming power of God for himself. How did he reject it? Not just in attitude. Watch now in behavior. Watch in behavior. Verse 8 of chapter 13. This is 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he finished making the offerings, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought. In other words, his old practice of managing his life, not being subject to the direction of the Holy Spirit, immediately kicked into gear. So somebody says something to us that we don't like. We have an opportunity now to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit or we have an opportunity to kick into gear with our old rebellious self and say, okay, I think, they're, I think they're after me. I think I better kill them. I think I better do my act now. I better get my dance going. I better do what I have to do to avoid this problem because I'm not going to be able to handle this problem if I don't put up my defenses. And so some of our defenses are, you're wrong. And I'm right. If you just treat me differently, it would be different in this house. I don't like what you said. It's not fair. It's not fair. Why does he get to do it and I don't get to do it? Those old defenses kick in. Or the old defense kicks in that says, I better crawl in the cave and eat worms. This is hopeless and I'll just stay there until it passes over and then... I'll be better. It's those same old, same old practices. It's those same old habits. It's those same old defenses that rise up and say, I'll do it my way. I'll go my, I'll go my path. 
I'm not going to go the path of God. I'm going to be in rebellion. So now Samuel has to deal with him. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. Well, Saul was not qualified to offer the burnt offerings. It had to be a prophet or a priest to offer the burnt offerings. So now he is assuming to himself the office of prophet and priest. And in the scriptures, those offices together only belong to one person, to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the priest, he's the prophet, and he's the king. And those offices were separated so that we would need one another, so that there would be a checks and balance in the system of God's administration. Now we have one man who's taken all of the power and authority to himself for his life and for the nation of Israel. And Samuel says to him, you acted foolishly. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now what I want you to hear tonight is frightening. The Lord has called each of you to a work of the Spirit. He's called you to a role in the kingdom of God. He's assigned you a place in the ministry of the kingdom of God. It's a place that counts for eternity. And if you choose, instead of walking in that place of assignment, to say, I'm not happy walking in the place of assignment you've given me, Jesus. Instead of that, I would rather have this place over here. And I'm going to do my life my way. I'll think what I want to think. I'll operate the way I want to operate. I'll say what I want to say. I'll do what I want to do. And I'll do it according to my needs, not according to the needs of the kingdom of God. Then we have done the same thing that Saul did. And we have left the path of service that God has called us on. And we're no longer walking in that path of service in a way that God can use us. I want to show you this in the scriptures. Verse 15. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gilbreth in Benjamin. And Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. So now there are no plans for the battle. There are still 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers. There's an army of five to 600,000 men who are coming against Israel, and King Saul has no plan for how to meet this enveloping army that is about to destroy this new king and the nation of Israel. He can go to the priest, and he can ask for the ephod, and he can ask God, shall I do this or shall I do that? And there is no answer from God. God has utterly withdrawn from him. It's overwhelming odds. How should he fight this battle? The first battle he fought 
for Jabesh Gilead. He was given very clear directions. He operated according to those directions. And a great army of over 300,000 armed soldiers came and went to war with him. And they were victorious at the command of God. But now there's no direction from God. I simply want to say to you tonight, there is no more desperate place for us to be in than to face a great obstacle and to have no direction from God for how to deal with that obstacle. And there are some things that we have to deal with as a congregation if we're going to get God's heart about the National Prayer Chapel. We're going to have to deal with the bitterness in our heart. We're going to have to deal with a lack of forgiveness for others. We're going to have to deal with our own sin and forgive others before God will forgive us for our sin. We're in the same place King Saul was. There was no word from God for him. God would not speak to him. Now, he has several options. He can pack up his bags and move to Egypt. Then he no longer has the responsibility of what's happening. His nation can go to pot. He doesn't care. He's going to go to Egypt, and he's safe. That, by the way, is the most common course that we in America have taken. When we can't face an obstacle, we run for security, and our family dies, our futures die, and we hope we can go to Egypt and eke out some kind of existence and financially make it some way, lie and cheat and steal and do everything the world does to try to just make it. And some of you in this house want to just get out of the family you're in and go out and make it happen. You're sure if you just have a chance, you can make it happen. No, you can't. Oh, you might eke out an existence. You might have some kind of life, but it will not be in the path of God, and it will not be under the blessing of God, and it will not be the future God has set apart for you. I have to confess, there have been some times in my life where I've run. And I've gone to Egypt for a number of years. And it's been miserable until finally God called me back. And when he called me back, I again faced the same army that was waiting for me 10 years earlier before I ran. The problems are still the same. And you know why, don't you? Because when I get back, I'm still me. I still bring my feelings. I still bring my hang-ups. I still bring my bitterness. I still bring my anger. I still bring my brokenness. I still bring me. I bring me to the fight. That's why I keep saying there has to be a change. There has to be a Holy Spirit anointing so that when I come to the battle, there's a difference. And victory is given. We find King Saul is now hung out to dry. God will not answer him. He has now endangered his life and the life of the whole nation of Israel. Now, this army of 600, all they have to fight with are hoes and sickles and goads. There are only two swords amongst the bunch of them. King Saul has one and Jonathan has one. The Philistines have all the swords. This is an impossible battle. There's no way to win this war. It's over. Jonathan, he finally says to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. This is chapter 14, verse 1. Come on, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. 
but he didn't tell his father. So in other words, God's heart for the children of Israel was that they would be delivered in spite of King Saul, not because of King Saul. Now, it's God's intention to deliver this city. Is he going to do that in spite of the National Prayer Chapel or because of the National Prayer Chapel? That's still up for grabs. Jonathan says, come on. Verse 6, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. He's not saying the Lord will act on our behalf. He's saying maybe the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And the armor bearer says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. They don't have any idea whether this will succeed or not. They know that the only way Israel is going to be delivered is by a mighty act of God. They know there's nothing in their hearts that can deliver them. I'm really clear tonight, there's nothing in my heart that can deliver me. There's nothing in your heart that can deliver us. If God is going to use us to reach Washington, D.C., he's going to have to do that through us. We're not going to do it. He's going to do it in spite of us in that sense. But I'm praying he'll do it through us by changing us. And I believe he's doing that. I see changes happening in our hearts. Come, we'll cross over toward the men and let them see us. Verse 9, if they say to us, wait, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they're hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Oh, it was a done deal. Now he knew God was moving on their behalf and deliverance would occur. I'm willing to do anything God asks me to do to get in line with the flowing power of the Holy Ghost, are you? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get in line with the flowing power of the Holy Ghost so that he can deliver us? Jonathan didn't know when he started if it would cost him his life. But he was willing to take that position That, okay, God, I'm going to put my life on the line. I'm going to wait upon you, and I will do whatever is necessary so that the power of the Holy Spirit can flow through my life and my heart. You know, we started this message by saying, don't drift. Don't drift from what? Don't drift from having your eyes fixed on Jesus. On having that clear channel with the Lord God Almighty so that you know you're walking in the flowing presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And know that as soon as you begin to think, how am I going to defend myself? You've lost it. You're drifting. As soon as you begin to say, I'm mad, you've lost it. You're drifting. As soon as you begin to say, I'm not going to forgive that person, they have hurt me and I will not forgive them. No, you're drifting. 
That's what has to change. Some of you have carried bitterness in your heart for years. And you believe with all your heart that that bitterness is justified. You know what? It may be justified. In fact, it probably is justified. But it's drifting away from the path the Holy Spirit has for your life to flow in. And you have to decide if you're going to continue walking in that rebellious way or if you're going to turn back and let the power of the Holy Spirit flow through you. Now, what's such good news to me tonight is that every time I've turned and done a saw, the Holy Spirit has started calling after me and saying, come on, Ray, come on, repent of that. Let go of that anger. Let go of that bitterness. Let go of that hardness of heart. Soften your heart, Ray. I want to use you. I hope tonight as I'm speaking this word, you can identify how the Holy Spirit right now is calling after your heart. He hasn't left you. He's calling after you. He's saying, come on. Trust me. Let go of that bitterness. Let go of that anger. Issue the forgiveness card that's necessary. Let me forgive you. They climbed up into that camp. And Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 men in about half an acre. In other words, armed warriors came after them. And God gave them victory over them and killed them. Then panic struck the whole army. Not just in the outpost. But the power of God came with such force that those in the camp and the field those in the outposts, those in the raiding parties, they all began to panic. Suddenly, the ground began to shake. It was a panic sent by God. Now, I want you to see Saul's behavior again. Saul begins to see that the army of the Philistines is melting away. They had them boxed in. They're melting away. And Saul said, Call them in, muster them quickly. Let's see if anybody's gone from our group. When they did, they discovered that Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul says to the priest, quick, bring the ark of God. They brought the ark of God. And he began to ask the priest, shall we pursue these Philistines? The noise increased of the Philistine army as they fought one another and as they began to run. And he says to the priest in 1 Samuel 14, verse 19, withdraw your hand or stop praying for me. I don't have time for this. I'm going to go fight. So Saul and his army assembled and they go to battle without the blessing of God. And they find the Philistines in total confusion, killing each other with their swords. And the Lord rescued Israel that day with a great deliverance. But now, I want you to see Saul's heart. Verse 24, 
Now the men of Israel were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath saying, Cursed be any man who eats food before evening, before I've avenged myself of my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. Oh, so now the Philistines are not God's enemies. They're Saul's enemies. And now that the Philistines are killing one another off, now Saul says, I'm the man. You see the wickedness of this. In other words, God steps in and begins to grant a deliverance to us. And we step back and say, hey, you're right. This is my doing. This is luck. I can handle it now. I don't need God. I don't need to pray anymore. I don't need to talk to you, God. Just give me a chance and I'll go for it. It's this basic attitude that says, if I just have a fair chance, a fighting chance, I can do it on my own. Jonathan hears about it. He's already eaten honey. He knows he's under a curse. Again, Saul calls for the priest. Shall I continue pursuing these Philistines? And God doesn't answer. God doesn't answer. And Saul says, it it has to be one of you men. Let's cast lots. Let's see who, who broke the curse. And of course, it was his son, Jonathan, and he's ready to execute Jonathan. Verse 43, then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. So Jonathan told him, I merely tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now must I die? And Saul said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. This is his oldest son. He's going to kill his son because his son broke the curse and prevented him from winning the battle. As though it were Saul who would win the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. So now he's in full-blown pride. He thinks he can handle it. He's the man. Just give me a chance. I'll do it. And he's cast down. God won't even talk to him. You can very quickly check. Will God speak to you? Will God answer you? If God is not answering you, it's because you have been in your own productivity and you've been operating by your own plan and you've been walking in your own wisdom. And there's only one way to move away from that. And that is to step back and begin to repent and say, Lord God, I've been doing my own deal. I will wait upon you, O God. I will trust in you, O God. I will not pursue my own course of action. I will put my trust in you. Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews, the second chapter. Verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. 
God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. See, God has given us the same information that he gave King Saul. He's offered us a new heart. And now the question is, will we pay attention to that or will we drift away from that into a place where God no longer speaks to us, where we're caught in our bitterness, we're caught in our anger, we're caught in our rebellion, we're determined we're going to walk our own path and the Holy Spirit withdraws from us and doesn't speak to us. And in that place, the battle plan for God's battle against the enemy, he won't talk to us about that battle plan anymore. And so now we have no way to participate with God for eternity, for the battle for men's and women's souls. See, this is not just a battle for my soul or your soul. This is a battle that he's called us to participate in for the souls of others. And if we can't hear God, if we're not on track, we don't know how to cooperate with him. We don't know how to participate with him. And then all that's left for us is to live a wild donkey life, doing our own deal, complaining and rebelling and being mad and doing this and doing that, never succeeding, never accomplishing our heart's desire. Oh, how many times I've had men come and visit in our home and sit in our home, grown men. One man I'll never forget, he he'd lived a very, very successful life. He was a multimillionaire in carpet industry owned a huge store outlet where he sold all kinds of carpet and tile and installed. I mean, he did the whole program. Multimillionaire. He sat in my living room and he began to weep. This is a grown man in his 70s. He began to weep and I said, why are you weeping? He said, because God called me to be a minister of the gospel. And I wasn't willing to listen to the call. And I've wasted my whole life. I have all this money, but I can't take it to heaven with me. And now, if I can escape from hell just with my body intact, it will be a miracle of God. My my whole life is shipwrecked, Pastor. What do I do? What do you have tonight to show for your life? Have you accomplished yet in your life what you believe God wanted you to accomplish? Are you hearing from God? Or are you off on your own somewhere, caught in your own rebellion and your own bitterness and your own hurts? Are you caught in a snare? I only know one answer. To get back into the presence of Jesus and plead his blood. To ask him to no longer allow me to drift from the heart of Jesus. To no longer hit and miss. But instead to begin to come into his presence and read the scriptures. To pray. To be in church. To be where God's called me to be. To begin to intercede and cry aloud to him and say, oh God, I've I've missed the mark. Would you set me right? Would you put my feet on the path? I want to be on that path of holiness. I want to walk honestly before you. I want integrity in my life. I want your presence in my life. I no longer want to walk this schizophrenic this way one day and that way the next day. But solid, straight, 
no longer flipping back and forth, but walking straight, disciplined in the Holy Spirit, listening to every command he speaks to us. Saul fought this battle without the direction of God. And now he wants to execute his son because he's gotten religion. He's become a legalist. But he has no heart for God. The men step in and say, no, king, you cannot kill your son. He's the one by whom God brought deliverance to Israel. In verse 52, we read this brief statement. All the days of Saul, there was bitter war with the Philistines. And whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service. Saul spent the rest of his life without the direction of God. He fought the Philistine army with human power. So his whole life was given over now to warfare. Do you want your whole life given over to warfare? To bitterness and fighting? Always scrambling to get the upper edge. Always scrambling to try to figure out how to make a dollar. Always scrambling to figure out how you're going to make ends meet. Because God's not in your life. Oh, you're religious maybe. You may even go to church. But you know in your inner heart that you have rejected the Holy Spirit and his discipline. And you're unwilling to submit to what he's asked you to submit to. And so you spend the rest of your life just being a normal person, living the American deal, scrambling to try to make it. And in the end, you die. And that's it. You've lived your life. You've wasted your life. Maybe you had some good times. Maybe you even were able to buy a house and, and get a nice car and have a boat. I buried lots of those people. Those people die. They have it for a little while, but their life is a struggle. They have to work for it. Versus, the battle is not mine. The battle belongs to the Lord. I'm not going to drift away. I'm going to listen to the the power and voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to obey him. For me, that meant turning off the television, shutting off the videos, no longer reading the science fiction, giving up the men's magazines. It meant a whole turnaround in my life. It meant no longer lusting after money. It meant no longer trying to plan out my life, but instead to go into the prayer closet and plead with God to open the way before me. But all the joy tonight, this little handful of people, do you know what? You're a joy to my heart. I'm so glad you're here. Because I'm walking in the anointing and power of the Holy Ghost. I'm not charting my course. God is charting my course. I'm trusting what he's going to do in the National Prayer Chapel. I'm trusting him for the deliverance that he's going to bring to us, both corporately and individually, as we trust in his name. Saul was a man of great pride, great self-sufficiency, great bitterness and jealousy, great anger. You know where he ended up? 
sitting at a witch's table eating dinner. That's where Saul's end up. Terrified at his death the next day. And he went out anyway. He went to war. And he died on the battlefield. I pray tonight that your heart has been touched by the word of God. That you will determine in your spirit that the most precious thing in your life is to hear from the Holy Spirit how to fight the battle. And that you will not grieve the Spirit by your rebellion or your hardness of heart. Almighty God, come and meet your people. Change our hearts like you changed Saul's. But then, oh God, don't let us drift from that back into our old ways. Lord, call us out of it. Give us that new heart and don't let us go back to the pig pen. But Lord God, keep our feet set straight. I watch tonight for your deliverance. In the name of Jesus. God, 
sing it to Jesus. And renew a right spirit within me. Close your eyes and worship me. Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother and my sister. I'll talk to you soon. of his glory.